Good evening. Maranatha to you. Do I get double mic'd? Where's my brother? Do I do both? Three mics. Okay. I'm waiting for a third. Okay. I gave you a chance to leave, and that you did. But you came back for more. I'm not sure I would have done that. Join me, if you would, in the Old Testament, Old, Old Testament book by the book named Daniel, please, real fast. And then we'll go to something new. We'll go to something old first. There's always something cool about the old. So if you're in Daniel chapter 5, I just want to read again for those that were not here this morning. Uh, just, just a couple verses, and then we're going to jump over to John chapter 8. By the way, we've had a great time. This is a home away from home. It's like preaching in the backyard. But uh, it's, it's always good to have the challenge to prepare God's word. And trust me, uh, you talk about someone who's nervous in the preparation of God's word, it's me. These are, these are tremendous grounds, exciting grounds to go into, but uh, we've got to go before the Lord uh, to see the, the wisdom and the understanding and what he wants us to do. Sometimes he'll send a guy like me to maybe help a little bit. I hope I have been a help. You, you've been a blessing to me and to my family. We have Daniel chapter 5, just for one, one second. It says this in verse 1, uh, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, in the moment that he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden vessels and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. It was time to show a tremendous feast. Bring the best to the best. Everybody knew where those vessels came from. There was no hiding that. He, wanted to make a, he was going to use this as the stage to make a declaration about who he thought God really was. And that was that he evaluated God at zero. He evaluated God, God at nothing. Verse 3 says this. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank therein. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and of brass and of iron and of wood and of stone. In that same hour came forth fingers of a man and wrote over against the candlesticks upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand uh, that wrote. And if you remember, this is the eternal now stepping into our time. Wow. For the likes of Belshazzar, amazing that the man would have God's uh, uh, attention in that way. But you remember how the chapter ends, right? Look at verse 30, please. It says, in that night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. The judgment falls on Belshazzar. These fingers, they're known worldwide. I was talking to our brother earlier. I can't remember if I first heard that statement, the writing on the wall, because I read Daniel 5 as a young kid, or if I read it out there in the world, because it's a statement so well known. This passage is so well known. But you see, something happens. This finger goes away in the darkness. The party dies down. You know, the, the night turns bad. It goes from bad to worse, and it gets dark. And the writing of the wall is no longer seen. But it creeps up again on us in the New Testament. And if you could join me in John chapter 7, please. John chapter 7. And these, these fingers pop up one more time, except in a different light, in the light of day. And we'll read from 37, because we're going to have a little fun with it. Verse 37 says this, And the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He was at the last day of the Feast of Booths. I said Feast of Weeks this morning. If you caught my mistake, I apologize. He was at the Feast of Booths. 
It was the last day. It was a climactic day in that feast. And for this 30-year-old man to stand up and to quote almost the same words of Isaiah 55. Yeah, you talk about an attention getter right there. These men weren't silly men. They were religious men. They were religious, studious men of the Old Testament and women as well. And so as the Lord Jesus would stand in this amazing feast and would declare these words, their ears were pricked. And look what it goes on to say. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So similar to Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 3. But this spake he of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, had not yet descended on man. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. They had, this is their response. And this is what we call the Bible being absolutely real. You see, because when you came to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it might have been a simple decision for you. You might have just heard the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's all you needed to hear. And you were good. You were sold on that. And praise the Lord for that simplicity of the gospel. However, there are many that come out and they say, no, no, I have questions. I have these reservations. Is God big enough? Can he answer these hard Bible questions? You see, because like our brother mentioned in prayer, we can't physically turn our eyes on the Lord Jesus. That's a tremendous difficulty for a lot of the world. Because what they know, they usually can correlate with what they can touch and what they can see and what they can smell, unfortunately at times, uh, and what they can handle. But when you come to God, you're asking a lot of, of mankind when they can't do any of that. So there are many that sit in their chairs and they say, well, I'd like to believe, but I have some questions. Look at the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he in his earthly ministry, the man was busy, busy, busy. But when he came down to taking time to those who he'd already knew the outcome, he already knew their frustration. He already knew their reservations. But, but because in the midst there were some that genuinely did want to believe, he would answer these hard Bible questions. Because the Lord Jesus doesn't want anybody to come in blind faith. Because that's unnecessary when it comes to God. The Bible is big enough for that to put you at ease. Uh, this, is, this is the difficulty I have. Many of us don't buy a car, maybe a bicycle. Some of the young ones will buy a bicycle. They have questions. They buy color. You know, how, does it, how does it ride? How long would it last? Where do I got to put it? <laughs> You're asking that same mentality to base everything they've ever known and their lifestyle from here on out on something they cannot see. That doesn't come easy. You have to be allowed to ask hard Bible questions, like we say. And God is big enough for that. And the Lord Jesus certainly was big enough for that. Because he himself was God in the flesh. So they got to hear it hot off the press. It says this. Others said, they had, they, this is what they said. Of a truth, this is a prophet. Verse 41, others said, well, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? You see the difficulty? They knew Galilee. And they knew this young man. And to see that where both came, it was impossible. The Messiah can't come. If you know your Old Testament, he can't come from Galilee. You can't compromise scripture when it comes to the Messiah. He has to fulfill Old Testament scripture, whether you know it, whether you like it or not. The Messiah is responsible. God is responsible to fulfill all that was written of him. These men could look it up huh? or, or scroll it up and down, depending on what kind of a Bible they had. Hath not the scripture said, and they're right, that Christ cometh from the seed of David, right? He has to be from the seed of David. That's vital. If he's not from the seed of David, I can tell you one thing. He is not the Messiah. They knew that. And so here they are using their God-given minds to try to put this stuff together because it didn't come easy. Sometimes many believed. No questions asked. 
Other times, men wrestled. Oh, they had to wrestle. And it's good because once you find the answer, there's nobody that's going to shake you. You see? Nobody's going to shake you when you know in whom you have believed. The day you believe something that you cannot defend, you, you better wait for the day that you can be blown down. You're going to be blown away. It'll happen. Trust me. Especially the young ones. It'll happen. Know in whom you have believed. Some of them put it together. They knew their, they knew their Old Testament Bibles. Christ has to come from the seed of David, out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was, out of the line of David. Certainly had to be. Look at verse 43. So there was a division, a division among them because of him. Certainly they knew something special about him, but they needed to figure it out. Verse 44. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought them? Now you're talking about the religious leaders of the day. Instead of leading God's people, we're now looking to put this man away. He was now taking what was theirs. And in, sense, in a sense, he was drawing the, their attention, taking the attention away from them and putting it on himself and on his message. That's a no-go if you're in the business of being a Pharisee. So he sends men out, and he sends these men who really shouldn't have cared any less. They should have just done what they were told. But because the Lord Jesus is who he says he is, these men stopped for a second, gave him a chance, and they were so confused as to who he was. They came back and they said, well, we, don't, we never heard anybody speak like this. You don't have to believe me. Look at the verses. Verse 46, the officers answered, had never a man spake like this man. Couldn't make any heads or tail of what he said. Then, then answered the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed? Any of us, have we set the example? Have we believed? And the answer to that would have been, at least at that time, with the exception of Nicodemus, no. None of them have believed. Because none of them have given them a chance. It goes on to say this. But these people who know not the law, remember that. The Pharisees looked at these people like common people who couldn't think for themselves. They don't know the law. They don't know the scriptures. And then this is what they plan on doing. Look what they do. Nicodemus saith unto them, and Nicodemus steps up. He that came to Jesus by night being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know that what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went on his way. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, because it was never done. The Pharisees had now said, These individuals, they don't know the law. They don't know their Old Testament. Let's see what we can do now to corner the Lord Jesus. It's incredible. These individuals ought to have been leading God's people to help them think about God, to bring up the Old Testament. We were talking about it over lunch. The fear of not knowing God's word and believing what we don't know. It's a very unhealthy place to be. I'd never encourage anybody to do that. You search the scriptures. That might take some time. That might take a little bit of work. But these things are worth working for. And it's definitely for the likes of yourself and for your family. And early in the morning, he came again to this temple. And this is a magnificent setting because the temple was over 35 acres big. It was a big setting. So if you're going to have the Lord Jesus look a fool, you better do it in the big scene. Because basically, you don't want anybody to miss this. So look what they do. And early in the morning, he came into the temple and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. So he took the position of a rabbi. The man sits down. He begins to teach every day. Clock in. This is what the Lord Jesus was all about. Taking time with individuals, teaching them. Who knows how many people he preached to? Who knows how many people he spoke to? But this is what he did on earth. 
Man didn't go about sleeping or, or doing anything. He was very busy. I know that you all are busy. And so you can imagine, you can relate with this. You can relate to how the Lord felt. And the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 3 says, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that, we, that such a one should be stoned. But what sayest Thou. Interesting how men pick and choose the laws that they know and the ones that they want to keep. Be careful, because if you break one of the laws, right, you're guilty of all of them. These men now here thought that they can get the crowd because the crowd doesn't think, right? The crowd doesn't know the Old Testament. So now they're going to use that lack of knowledge and they're going to put the Lord Jesus in a bind. And they bring this woman caught in adultery. Now you're telling me, God-fearing men... How exactly do you come across a woman committing adultery? Where were you at that this all of a sudden happened? There's questions I have. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you have hard questions too. I mean, these men are God-fearing, trying to uphold the law, and here they find a woman. Point number two, if, you, if they're basing it on Leviticus chapter 20, well, it's hard to commit adultery by yourself. I don't know when the last time you saw that. The man's, if she's committing adultery, then it takes two, right? And 2010 says what? That they both should be stoned. These men, in trying to uphold the law, are now cutting corners. Not good. Not good. Either way, the Lord Jesus is seated. And his posture in this, in this whole scene is amazing. Because the Lord Jesus is seated, letting, letting them know that he has utter confidence in that he knows the law. Okay? He's taking a comfortable position. The difficulty was is that they didn't know who he was. He was there the very first time the law was given. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do is remind my parents about some rules or regulations that they made. If they forget them, good, it's on them. The last thing I want to do is bring up the law to the Lord himself. Because then he will begin to expose. Expose you for who you are. I don't know when's the last time you've been exposed. Maybe it's a long time. That's a good thing. It's a very uncomfortable situation. This woman here, they weren't looking for her benefit. No, no. They weren't looking to help her. They weren't looking to look at her and say, oh, we ought to love her. And she's got, she's got you know, some, some, some areas that she needs to work on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But they brought her as a piece, a puzzle piece, to use this woman. They wanted to expose her, and they wanted to make a point at her expense. You tell me where the love of God is in that. And these are the leaders of God's people. Wow. You see, because we, we look at this passage and we just put ourselves there. If somebody started putting apart your life and how uncomfortable would it be in this setting, let alone a public setting in which multitudes would be there. And in as a culture and in a society that thrives on honor, where if you do something wrong, it's shame on you. Not bad boy or bad girl. Shame on you. It's on honor. And they looked at this woman as a piece. And they threw her before the Lord and said, listen, let me tell you, young man, what we think. Moses in the law says, this woman should be stoned. And the Lord Jesus is there looking down the whole time. I want to let you know that he did that quite possibly because he wasn't going to shame that woman any more than she had already been shamed. And look, how, look what he does. You see, you've got, you got to read this because you've got to get to know the Lord Jesus. This is the only, this is the token right here, the Bible. This is how you get to know him. And how, who he was. I would love to take you to him. But I can't physically. But I can tell you about him. 
And I've come to know more about him through his word. Look at what it says. Where did I leave off? Six. They said this, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his fingers. Finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So they wanted to tempt him. You can also translate as test him. Why? Because this is, this is what they did. Right? They cornered the Lord and they put him in, 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 a, in a predicament where there's only two answers, A and B. Or at least they thought there was only two answers. Well, A, we stoned the woman. Well, that was a big no-no because the Roman Empire had not allowed the Jews to do that. You couldn't kill anybody. They reserved that right for themselves. So if the Lord Jesus had done or proposed to do that, he would have been arrested and would have been taken away. If he compromises the law and says, don't stone this woman... What do you think they would have said? Oh, this man doesn't care about the law. Can't be the Messiah. Can't be from above. He compromises the law of Moses. And they would have written him off altogether. Ah, two answers. That's the only two he can give. The only problem was, again, they failed to see who he really was. He was God, he was, he was God incarnate. And look how he sits there comfortably knowing the law. Look at verse 7. So they continued asking him. So that means that they looked at him and they got frustrated with him. They wanted answers, and he wasn't giving it to them. <laughs> you ever been there? You're almost kicking there. Come on, give me some answers, you know. And later on, they do it in the book of Mark. They almost tell us, now tell us, young man, are you the son of God? They basically are holding him and say, are you the son of God? Just tell us clearly. And he wouldn't answer them. Beautiful patience the Lord shows with these men. The fact that he longs to be with men like that and women like that. If you ever think you're good, just remember where you sat the day before you were saved. You were just like that, kicking and fighting the entire way. My goodness. And the Lord wanted to have relations with you, relationship with you. Wonderful Savior you have, trust me. It says this, so they continued to ask him. And he lifted up himself and said to them, and look at this. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And I know you've heard it before. But look at how he phrases it. That's beautiful. That he was a sin among you, not among us, because then he would have had to stone them. Among you. And then he says this, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. These men now, instead of exposing this woman, were in the most uncomfortable situation. The light had turned now to them, and they were exposed. You see, because in a, again in a society where they knew the Old Testament, and they knew who they were, it was impossible for them to say that it, they were sinless. For they knew each other. It'd be ridiculous. It'd be ridiculous to do it in this room. Imagine in a big setting where people would say, oh, no, no, I know this person. How dare you? Shame on you, they would say. And so the Lord Jesus now exposes them. But look at his posture again. He stoops down to write. Okay? Everybody always focuses on what did he write? What did he write? What did he write? I want to know. That's a question. I sat over lunch with good friends uh, of mine. And we talked about all the long list of questions I want to ask the Lord. Can't wait to see them. I hope you do too. The weather in heaven is going to be nice to talk about for a whole five minutes. But after that, you better be prepared. Because I got questions. One of the questions I'd love to ask him is, what did you write? You see, because even true to the law or the, the, uh, the, the rules and regulations of the day, you couldn't work. A day after the, any feast, any major feast was a day of Sabbath. Even writing on a, t on a stone tablet would have been wrong. But writing on the sand where it doesn't leave a permanent mark is okay. It's okay. And so the Lord Jesus stoops down and he writes on the sand. What did he write? Don't worry about it. what he write. Look what he does. His posture. 
He looks down to right. And these men are now doing the, the most anguishing thing they can possibly do. They start looking within themselves. And he wasn't about to be adding fuel to that fire. He wasn't going to look in them with shame. He wasn't going to look at them and kind of have, you know, twist and knife type feel. Huh? You guys think you're good? No. He would have no part of that. They, he knew where these men stood. He knew them better than they knew themselves. Huh? The only thing is they, they weren't coming to grips with it. One by one. One by one. Jamal's not here. But they always looked in, in this culture, right? They, they always looked to the old ones first. And so somebody like Jamal would have probably, you know, he would have been the first one gone. And then it would have gone downhill from there. All the younger ones like me would have looked at a man like Jamal. If he's not good, I'm certainly not there. Look what, it, look what impresses me now more than anything in this. Verse 9. <laughs> it's incredible because these men were now honest. One by one they left. From the oldest to the youngest. They knew where they stood before the living God. They knew that they, they had not held that, that, the, the law. So they do this. And that they which heard it, being convicted on their own conscience. Bro- friends, brothers, sisters, friends. The conscience still works. God gave it to us. There's a world out there that has seared that conscience. I agree with you. But there's still a lot of it ticking in some of us tonight. It still works. We look at things and we know they're not right. We want them to be right. Who do you think gave you that God-given ability? (laughs) God himself. These men are doing, they don't know the Bible. They don't need to know cover to cover. They know themselves. And one by one, they leave. The conscience still works. Praise the Lord for that. Romans is in full effect. They went out one by one, beginning to elders, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. And this is what surprises me the most about this passage. And the woman standing in the midst. I want to remind you that she didn't volunteer for this exposure. She didn't actually want to come to this meeting. She came because she was brought to this meeting. And now all of a sudden, her chance to run, and she doesn't do it. Sometimes you've got to leave the woman to do a man's job. She stood there and faced the fire. She realized who she was. And she realized that the one that was there wasn't out to accuse her or for her ill. As a matter of fact, all the attention went from her. Now it was deflected on him. <laughs> I think that's utterly beautiful when it comes to characterizing the Lord. Because he doesn't look to put anguish or anything on us. He wants to take it. And he wants to put it on himself. And this woman needed help. She needed somebody to love her and care for her. And she found it in the Lord Jesus. And she wasn't going anywhere. But you see, that could have gone bad for her. Because look at verse 10. When, the Jesus, when Jesus lifted up his, himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those who, uh, of thine accusers? She, she still could have been accused, you see. Her life still could have been required of her. But look what the Lord says. Hath no man condemned thee? And she says, No man, Lord. Jesus says unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That is the absolute best news you can possibly hear if you're in this predicament. Exposed before the public. Everybody knows that you were not just doing this. You were caught in the very act. You have no excuse. And now you find one in which will not will expose you but not condemn you. He tells the woman, don't sin anymore. He doesn't condone her lifestyle. He clearly says, don't sin anymore. How does he do that? Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and I'll always throw in a bonus. 
Chapter 10, just because I like the crowd tonight. Chapter 10. They, end, they start and end the same exact way. Kind of the same flow. We call that thought flow. We call that pattern. In the scriptures, it's very... Sometimes, you almost think that the writer of the Bible is inspired. It's incredible. It's almost like you feel like it's from, from above. That was a joke. But anyways, it is from above. Uh, look how the chapter ends. And this we're going to close. This is the gospel, my friends. This is the gospel in every essence of the word. The Lord Jesus doesn't have it, a do-it-yourself program. You get your life right. You get to the point where you're somewhat okay. And then you come to him. The Lord Jesus is cool with you coming the way you are. And that's the beauty. You come the way you are. Let the Lord do the work. And this woman had a long way to go. But she, st- she met somebody that for- forever would change her life. Right? Forever. Look at how the chapter ends. They're a little angry with the Lord Jesus. That's not a, that's not a, issue. That's not a surprise at all. Uh, and they said this. <laughs> I'll read it. 52. We got a little bit of time. Then said the Jews unto him. Now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets are. And thou sayest if a man keep my sayings he shall never taste death. Again they looked at it and they looked at the superficial. Right off the bat. They looked at it and he claimed to be before Abraham. Big problem when you're only 30 years old. And Abraham's been dead for longer than 30 years old. This is them using their minds. Again they didn't, they didn't see who he was. But they could see eventually. They could see. And the Lord Jesus is tremendously patient. And they look at verse 53. Art thou greater than our father Abraham which is dead? And the prophets which are dead? Whom makest thyself? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me. And of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him, I shall be a a, a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. The approach of the Savior is miraculous. Because he doesn't hit them over the head with a hammer. He wants them to kind of get it. He wants them to understand it. Please understand that if this happened in real time, here in Pembroke Pines, somebody comes and starts claiming to be the Messiah, 30-year-old man, younger than me now, what would you do? What would you do? Well, these are the Lord's contemporaries. That means that they lived at the same time that the Lord Jesus lived. They had questions for him not everybody came so was the lord jesus who he said he was he certainly was and he had they had them use their minds and their hearts and that was okay because he was who he said he was then he says this because he talked about being before abraham which is a hard statement i don't i don't disagree it's a very hard statement but the lord jesus was indeed before abraham was indeed before the law verse 57 then said the jews unto him thou art not yet 50 years old and and hast seen abraham Jesus says unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Do you realize that that's a title that only God gave himself or used of himself in the Old Testament? There's no confusion now as to who the Lord Jesus is. You see? But he works it. Look how long the chapter is. 59 verses. Do you know how that's a long chapter, especially if you're young, right? 59 verses, dad, mom, I'm done for the night. That's good. 59 is a lot. And that's true. But you see how the Lord Jesus has to take time to develop these monumental truths. They don't happen overnight for some of us. That's okay. But you see, once you get a handle on it, like some of them did, 
You'll see, uh, you'll see the beauty behind it, and you'll never be shaken. Verse 59, the gospel is closed. They took up stones, what, to stone her? No, 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 not this time. They took up stones to stone him. You see, the entire time, the Lord Jesus wasn't a get-out-of-jail card for free for this woman. Mm -mm. The whole time, the Lord Jesus knew that in order to set her free, he was going to have to suffer for her sins. Do you know how this gospel ends? This gospel ends with, with a, a, horror of, a horror of horrors. The cross of Calvary. Do you think the Lord Jesus was looking forward to that? I guarantee you that it was on his heart and on his mind every minute of every day. Especially when he was amongst those that hated him. Could you imagine being in a foreign land, alone, being in a garden, and all they have is you know, these angry men, and you can't figure out why they're angry. What did I do to make you so angry, to hate me the way you do? And they took the Lord, the blessed one, and they would have stoned them right there if they had a chance. But instead, they pulled out their Old Testament Bibles. Cursed is any man that hangeth upon a tree. Yeah, that sounds right. Let's do that to him. Because once we see that, the world will know there's no way this one is, the God, is God or has anything to do with God. What they say to him on the cross? He saved others? Himself he cannot save. So then what? They put him in a tomb and they rolled the biggest stone they can possibly roll. For to what end? The Lord Jesus then, three days later, did what no man could do. Raised from the dead. The power of God in that resurrection is what makes him utterly unique. Utterly unique. Our brother mentioned this morning some little statistics from Acts chapter 2. In our courts of law, if you have two or three witnesses, you got a good case. When you have 500 plus telling you they've seen the risen Lord Jesus, you better believe it. Yeah? You better believe it. Some of them weren't even his friends, and they got to see it. Our gospel is blessed, but our gospel is temporary. You know that, right? There will be a day when the light does come off, and that door won't be open any longer. And that whole notion, please, that whole no if you get anything else out of tonight, that whole notion, especially if you're young, that all good people go to heaven, all, all that stuff, I understand. See, good people do go to heaven, ultimately. But there's a way of going through, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have Him as your Lord and Savior, then ultimately, some good people won't make it to heaven. Huh? Because He was good, and He had to suffer for the likes of me, who is not good. I know that. But I own him. I don't claim to be better than anyone else. But I claim him. And that's all I need according to the scriptures. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, we thank you so much again for the written word of God. We thank you for the writing that the Lord Jesus would write on their hearts. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the work would continue. He said, I don't write anymore on tablets of stone. I write in their hearts. Our God, we have a tremendous privilege today to know him as Lord and Savior. And the efficiency of our lives can be a living testimony to the world around us. We realize, our God, the difficulty that it is to make good decisions for thee, to honor thee in everything we do. Our God, we fall so short, but you're able. And, he, and we know that we can do all things through him that giveth us strength. And we thank you that we can own the Savior. Tonight the room is full. And our God, we thank you so much for thy kindness and the liberty that we have to open up thy word. We pray that the saints would have been encouraged, and we just pray that you, you, you would have been glorified in everything we say. For it is in thy son's name we pray. Amen.